with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to continue talking about King David. And last week we saw one of his most memorable failures. But lest we think too harshly of David, remember the words of Paul, where he said, Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. If you think it can't happen to you, then you're ripe for the picking, as they say. And we ended chapter 11 of 2 Samuel with these words, and it's some of the more tragic words of, of David's biography. But it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, as far as David's concerned at this point, he's, he's managed to cover up everything. Now, Joab knows about it, but... He and Joab are in agreement with one another, and so he's not worried about Joab keeping his secrets. But he thinks that everything has been covered. He's covered his tracks so well, but we see that there is one who sees all things and who knows all things. The book of Hebrews says that there is one to whom all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so... Uh, that's where we've come to chapter 12. And the Bible says, And the Lord, Jehovah, sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom. And was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man. And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd. To dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. And I'm going to stop there. And the title of my message today is, I am the man. I am the man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of the word. Let it be with the Holy Spirit with deep conviction. God, stretch forth your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The Lord sends Nathan the prophet. Now, most of your Bible scholars believe that at least six months have, have transpired since David's affair with Bathsheba. And for, for all intents and purposes, it was basically a one-night stand between the two of them. And anywhere from six months to a year have gone by. And the Lord sends Nathan the prophet at just the right time. When we, this is a lesson for you and I. When we have to confront sin from time to time, we must do it when the time is right. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And David was, excuse me, Nathan was such a man. Nathan had already had a tough assignment. Uh, if you remember, Nathan was the one that God sent to tell David that he was not going to be able to build a temple. And... Uh, and uh, so that would have been a, a tough assignment. This would have been a tough assignment too because kings were not accustomed to, uh, to getting bad news. They, they didn't like to, 
You, know, you don't want to be the bad, bearer of bad news to the king. But Nathan takes a different approach. And what he does, rather than just storming into the palace and, and proclaiming the sins of David, he allows David to, uh, he gives him enough rope to hang himself, so to speak. And he tells him a story. Now the interesting thing in the story is that David cannot see himself in the story. And I've often joked with others that if I were to write a book about all my experiences in the church and I were to change the names of the guilty to protect the guilty, uh, I wonder how many folks would be able to recognize themselves in the story. And probably we wouldn't be able to see ourselves in the story. You know, every time I read about a Pharisee in the Bible, I always think of someone else. I never think of myself as the Pharisee in the story. How about you? But I always, you know, I always envision someone else. Uh, and, and that's exactly what happens with David here because it's hard to see your own sin. It's, it's easy to see the sins of others. It's hard to see your own sin. And David had, had covered this up for so long that I guess he thought everything was okay. And, and Nathan tells him a story, and I won't go through all the reading of the story again, but, but we know uh, that the rich man here represents David in the story. The poor man is Uriah. The one little ewe lamb represents Bathsheba. And the Bible says that there was a traveler. The traveler is the temptation that came to David on the rooftop. It was the lust. He came as a visitor. I'm reminded of Cain. You know, God told Cain, he said, sin lies at the door. You know, if we allow sin to come in as a visitor and to stay there, he will eventually become a master to us. And so we've got to shut the door before he comes in. That's the traveler. And when David hears about this story, about the man who refused to take of his own flock and he stole from the poor man, David's anger was greatly kindled. You know, it's amazing. Someone that has done such egregious things as David, he's not angry about his own sin, but he's angry at this fictional character in the story. Now, David doesn't know it's a parable. For all he knows, he, he thinks he's getting ready to rule on a, uh, a case of injustice in the nation of Israel. But here's what happens to you and to me when we cover up sin. You know, uh, David's son would tell us in the book of Proverbs, he that covers his sins will not prosper, but he, whosoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. But what you'll find, the longer that you nurture sin, the longer that you try to cover it up, the longer that you try to masquerade, as it were, and put on the mask and carry on as business as usual, you will become more and more bitter, more and more angry, and more and more judgmental. And I have found this to be true. Whenever I hear a really angry preacher, I hear a really angry uh, Christian, and, and there's, it's just dripping with judgment and condemnation, I suspect that that person has got some issue in their life that they're not dealing with. Because you see, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. And the one who's experienced the grace of God will show it to others. But the one who's harboring things in his own life, he will project that onto others, you see. And uh, so this David has become the angry preacher. He's become the Jonah in the story. David is angry. And he says, the man who, did, who does this thing shall surely die. Now that was an exaggerated punishment. In the law of Moses, I think it's in Exodus 22, the punishment for stealing a sheep was merely to restore it fourfold. I think an ox was fivefold and a sheep was fourfold. But notice David said, not only should the man return the sheep fourfold, but he needs to be put to death. Now, the man who had committed that crime had not done anything worthy of death, but guess who had done something worthy of death? David. 
He had committed two capital crimes. He had committed murder and he had committed adultery. And the punishment for both of those sins was death by stoning. Not only David, but Bathsheba would be put to death. But David, in his mind, cannot see his own sin, but in a rage, he commands that this man ought to be put to death. We think about Saul of Tarsus, how he's breathing out threatenings, and he's, he's doing everything he can to kill the Christians. Why? I believe he's under such a weight of conviction. And finally, the Lord Jesus appears to him, and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the nails. And finally, Saul, in a, probably in a sigh of relief, finally says, Lord, what would you have me to do? Some of you here today, you're under the weight of the guilt of condemnation. Listen, if you're not born again, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you, the wrath of God abides on you. You are both within one breath, one heartbeat of an eternal separation of torment away from God. Hell is a real place. I lost a friend of mine just this week. He was younger than I am, in better shape than I am. A pastor friend of mine, he went to be with the Lord. And life is a vapor, James says. Your life is like a blade of grass. I got a birthday coming up next month. I won't tell you how old I'll be. But it seems like just yesterday, I was just a young punk with long hair. My hair was long and my thoughts were short. And uh, riding around thinking I was Mr. Cool. And it seemed like just yesterday, you know, that I was doing. Seems like just yesterday, I was a little kid, couldn't wait for Christmas to come. And I could open up my presents and, and play with my cousins on Christmas morning. Seems like just yesterday, but, but here I am. I'm getting older. And it seems like the older we get, time just goes by even faster, doesn't it, guys? Doesn't it seem that way? Doesn't Thanksgiving just sneak up on us this year and Christmas? There's something about it. As the older you get, time just begins to accelerate, folks. We're here for a little time. There's a window of opportunity. You just have to seize the opportunity of a lifetime within the lifetime of the opportunity. And David doesn't understand that. He's angry. And he says, this man should be put to death. And Nathan looks at David. Now David is completely disarmed. His head is in the noose. And Nathan takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which penetrates. A two-edged sword. And he says, David, you are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. We're in verse 7. Now notice how God, speaking through Nathan, notice, notice how God took David's sin personally. This really jumped out to me this morning. Some of you think, well, I'm sinning and I'm not hurting anybody but myself. But I want you to notice how God took personally David's sin. God says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. It wasn't David's military genius. It wasn't his skill as a hunter, uh, as a soldier. It was God that delivered him. He said, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives under your bosom. It was customary for the, the successing king to inherit the harem of the previous king. So it's not as if David was lacking for women, you know, for the company of females. And he says, now notice what he says. If that had been too little, I would moreover have given you unto you such and such things. Do you see that? God said, look, David, if you weren't satisfied with everything you had, I would have given you more. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. God's saying to this man, David, look, you're the richest man in the world. You're the most powerful man in the world. But if that wasn't enough, I would have given you whatever you wanted. 
Wow. You say, well, that's King David. Well, guess what? You and I are kings and priests unto God. We serve a God of infinite resources. I mean, that's why the Bible often speaks of according to the riches of his glory, you see. We serve a God of infinite wisdom, of infinite power. Whatever you need, God has. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Now in verse 9, he says, Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Now look at this. You've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and you have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. I'm sure David's thinking, how did you know that, Nathan? Only me and, Nathan, only me and Joab are privy to this secret, right? It's one thing if David had killed him by the hand of the Israelites, but David had Uriah killed by the enemies of God. And God knew it. Verse 10, now we see that God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. They were singing a song earlier about sin will take you farther than you want to go. The wages of sin is still death. It still take, it'll take you farther than you want to go. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But for one night of pleasure, David would pay for it the rest of his life. For one night of pleasure, he would pay for it the rest of his life. Because you have, notice what God says, because you have despised who? Me. God sent that to David. Now David killed Uriah. Uriah is the one he sinned against, right? No, God says when you did that, you despised me. And you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Amazing. You ever read Psalm 51? I'm not going to preach there. From Psalm 51. But have you ever read where, where David says to the Lord, he says, against you, you only have I sinned? You see? Well, there were a lot of victims in that crime, right? Bathsheba was a victim in a sense. Uriah was certainly a victim. But ultimately, his sin was against who? Against God. When we sin, we're not just, we're not just hurting ourselves. We're not just hurting our friends and co-workers and neighbors and family members but we are hurting God because we have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities we serve a God who does have feelings I got a sermon I'd love to preach sometime but I don't have it finished what does it feel like to be God what does God feel like you know they made a movie about that uh, you know and it was a really trivial thing and really blasphemous when you think about it to try to equate God to a man. And by the way, don't call God the man upstairs. That's, that's blasphemy. He's not the man upstairs. He's the Lord of glory. He's the King of kings. He's the righteous one. If he'd have come in this room right now, you wouldn't call him the man upstairs. You'd say, help me, God, don't let me die. Holy is the Lord. Woe is me. That's just a little extra. I didn't plan to throw that in there, but I don't like that. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Notice God said he would do that. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them unto your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before all the sun. The, the, uh, the penalty for stealing a sheep was to restore it how much? Fourfold? Guess what? David had four sons that died. There was this unknown baby, unnamed baby. Then there was Amnon, and he was killed because he raped Tamar, Amnon did to Tamar the same thing that David did to Bathsheba. 
Absalom killed Amnon, okay? Then Joab killed Absalom, and then he had a fourth son named Adonijah, who was put to death by Solomon. So David did restore fourfold. He had four sons. The same thing. God is not mocked, is he? Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's right. Yeah. There's a price to pay for sin. And I'm sure David never imagined when he was walking on the rooftop that night all of the unintended consequences that would come to pass. And God did this. And also, uh, we read later on in the book of 2 Samuel that Absalom slept with all of David's concubines on the rooftop. Remember what God said? You did it in secret, but I'm going to do this for the whole world to see. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. You know, Saul said that at least three times in the book of 1 Samuel. But it was nothing more than lip service. We can go through and pray ritualistic type prayers and, and do that kind of thing. But if there's no contrition, if there's no brokenness, it's just empty words. Saul said, I have sinned. He did it three times. But all Saul wanted was a rescue from the consequences of sin. That's all he wanted was a rescue from the penalty of sin. But David was actually broken. You can read about that in Psalm 51 in your own time. David was broken. He was truly contrite. The end of Psalm 51, David says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Those are the sacrifices that God is pleased with. God's not looking for the blood of a bull or a goat or a sheep or whatever. He wants to see a contrite heart. And David was broken. I think David probably breathed a huge sigh of relief. All this time he's been carrying this weight, this load of guilt with him. Now, <clears throat> I said earlier, if you're, if you're a sinner, if you're an unbeliever, you need to get right with God today. Don't, don't waste another minute. But this here, this story right here, is, is dealing with the sin of a believer. Okay? This is dealing with the sin of somebody that loves God, that's been called by his name, that's been anointed by God, that's been called into his service. And that's, that's the context of this particular story. And Nathan said, I have sinned against the Lord. Excuse me, David did. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away your sin, you shall not die. Praise God. What was the penalty for adultery and murder? Death. That was the penalty. <laughs> and there's no sacrifice for it. When David confessed that sin to God before Nathan, he was basically saying, okay, God, I deserve the death penalty. Are you and I willing to say that? Are we willing to come clean and say, God, I have done things worthy of death. I have done things worthy. I don't deserve to be here today. I, don't, I certainly don't deserve to be up here preaching today. I deserve to be in a grave somewhere. It's a miracle I'm still alive today. It's a miracle I'm still in the ministry today. It's a miracle I'm still able to stand up here and proclaim God's word to you today. I thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives Hallelujah. us mercy. Amen. And he gives us grace. The unmerited favor of the Lord. God has put away your sin. You shall not die. Let's, let's, let's just turn to Psalm 32 really quick here. Psalm 32, hold your place. Psalm 32, 
Now, most people believe that Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 were written after this confrontation with Nathan. After this confrontation, and, and Nathan has given him the words of the Lord. Psalm 32, are you there? Don't everybody say amen all at once. Amen. All right, thank you. Verse 1, blessed is he who's trans... Oh, by the way, the superscription here says that this is a psalm of David. It's a maskil. Now, a maskil in Hebrew is it's meant, it's didactic. It's meant to be instructive. It's, it's a teachable psalm. It's a teaching psalm. We're to learn from it, okay? And so David is going to allow us to learn from his experience, and I'm thankful that he did. He said, blessed, that word in the Hebrew is esher. It can be translated as happy, by the way. We're going to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving before we leave here today. And, and you'll be wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving this week. The only way to be happy in Jesus is to have your sins forgiven Amen. and to have your sins covered. That's the first psalm opens up with the word happy, esher. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And i got to get back to Psalm 32. Happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. If you notice, there's four words for sin that he uses there. The first one is transgression. That's going beyond the boundaries, crossing the line, so to speak. The next word he uses is sin. The word used for sin uh, it carries with it the idea of missing the mark, maybe shooting an arrow, and that arrow not quite reaching the target. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us in this room. The next word is iniquity. Now, in, the, in, in Greek, the word translated iniquity means lawlessness. But in Hebrew, the word iniquity means twisted or skewed or, I, I like this, this definition, warped. That's that thing within us that causes us to think the wrong things, to feel the wrong feelings, you know, to feel lust instead of love. It's what causes us to feel envy instead of kindness toward others. It's what causes us to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, just like the Pharisees. That's the iniquity. That's that, in, that's that thing that nobody can see in you and in me. But it's there, isn't it? It's always present. It's always there. Whenever Paul expressed it this way in Romans, he said, whenever I would do good, evil is present with me. We all know that experience. That's, that is to be human. To err is human. Um, that's what iniquity is. And then the final thing he mentions there is guile. And for a period of six months to a year, that's what David did. Guile is trickery, deception, smoke and mirrors, covering it up. On a try to do everything I can to keep people from finding out about this thing. And you might be able to hide it from people. But there's one that we can't hide from. Amen. Adam thought he could hide. God said, where are you, Adam? Blessed is the man. Happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. <laughs> See, David knew a little something about that. And then when you get to verse 2, he said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute Iniquity, that word impute, Paul picks up on that in uh, 
in Romans, the Greek word is legizomai. We've, we've used it many times in our study of Romans. It means to reckon. To, it's an accounting term. It means to count it to be true. Blessed is the man to whom sin is not reckoned. Why did David feel this so deeply? Because he understood something of the grace of God even under the old covenant, you see. Because David had committed crimes for which there was no sacrifice for it. There was nothing he could do to atone it. There was nothing he could do to get right with God. Do you understand that? There was absolutely no, there was no priest he could call. There was no pastor. There was no animal that could be killed. There was no meal offering or grain offering. Nothing David could do to save himself from death but to cast himself upon the mercies of a holy God. Amen. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And guess what? When he did that, he found mercy. And that's what you'll find if you'll cast yourself at the feet of the cross and say, God, have mercy on me. I have sinned against you. Guess what? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cover them, to take them away, carry it away, the sin. David said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Notice, notice he says, God, your hand. Notice the personal nature of it all. God, your hand was heavy on me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, you see. The most miserable person in the world is the Christian who's not living for God. As Garth Brooks would say, ask me how I know. <laughs> ask me how I know. <laughs> the most miserable man is the one who knows to do good and doeth it not. The one who loves Jesus and chooses to walk contrary to the path of righteousness. It's the most miserable person in the world. Amen. David knew what it was. That's, that's what all this language is about. But in verse 5, David deals with the three things. He doesn't mention guile here because when he confessed his sin, the guile was gone. The cover-up was over. But he does say this, I acknowledge what? My sin unto you. He says, my iniquity I have not hid. And I have said, I will confess what? My transgression unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now I'm told we're not supposed to pronounce the silah in Scripture. It's like a musical notation. It's like a rest. Um, if you want to say Selah, it's okay. I'm told we're not supposed to pronounce it, but I just did anyway. <laughs> selah. It means to stop and meditate, to think upon it. To let it sink in. Now verse 6, he says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you. When? In a time when you may be found. I think Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he's near. How do you know if he's near? Well, if you can still hear his voice. If there's still an opportunity, if you feel the, the urge to change your mind and to repent, that means the window of opportunity is still open for you. Amen. And I'd say this, as long as there's breath in the body, don't give up on anybody. Amen. Don't give up on anybody. Okay, he says, uh, you're my hiding place. You see, David went from hiding from God to now hiding in God. Isn't that good? <laughs> he says, now you are my hiding place. I don't have to hide from you anymore. I can hide in you. You will compass me about with songs of deliverance. Praise God. And then God starts talking in verse 8. I love the interaction between the psalmist and the Holy Spirit. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. I'll watch over you. But don't be as the horse 
Or is the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto you? Don't be like a stubborn donkey. Don't be that way. You know, some Christians are like that. They're so difficult to lead, so hard. Ask any deacon or ask any pastor. Some Christians are so difficult. Everything has to be the hard way. God says it doesn't have to be the hard way. Now, I have learned my fair share of lessons the hard way. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. I have learned my fair share of lessons the hard way. But why not just learn the easy way? My goodness. Why don't we listen to the words of David and not repeat his mistakes? Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. There's three verbs in here in verse 11, and then we'll get back to our story in Samuel. He says, be glad in the Lord. And he says, to rejoice, righteous ones. And he says, to shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. Amen. You know, that's a command. It's not a request. If we took the words of Scripture to heart, Brother Ronnie would not have to whip us up into a frenzy on Sunday morning. We ought to come in here with a praise on our lips. We ought to come in here and say, thank God I didn't get what I deserved this week. Thank God my sins have been forgiven. Thank God my iniquity has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't have to go to hell. I don't have to spend eternity in the lake of fire. My name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. I have an inheritance that's undefiled that is reserved for me in heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with my brothers and my sisters who love Jesus Christ. And I'm going to see the one face to face who died for me. Who loved me so much that he gave himself for me. Praise God. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. And I'll, I'll try to pick up steam. You know, sometimes I'm like a diesel truck. You know, I start out cold, but my gosh, I get warmed up and I can't stop. <laughs> Don't start calling me diesel. <laughs> 2 Samuel 12. <laughs> All right. David confesses unto God. David says, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. But there is a however. And I must deal with that or else I'm not a true gospel preacher. We have to declare the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. God says, how be it, by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child that is born unto you shall surely die. Oh, goodness. That's a dreadful consequence, isn't it? That's a dreadful consequence. And Nathan departed into his house. Now, this might mess with your theology some, but let the Bible be true and let every man be a liar. The Bible says that the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, that he struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Now, I'm going to quote the, great, the late great theologian Warren Wiersbe. Uh, I don't have any explanation for you, but we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. I can't explain every mystery of the Bible to you. Don't go to hell over a mystery. You know, I, I, I can tell you what I do know. I know that God is a loving God and that he has put up every obstacle in, in your way to keep you from going to hell. And if you go there, you'll go against his will because it's not the will of God that any should perish but that all, A-L-L, should come to repentance. In Ezekiel, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
Another way to look at, it is, at, at this, you know, if you're looking, and I'm not here to try to justify God because he doesn't need it. But another way to look at this is that poor baby don't have to live in a sin-sick world and he's going to go to heaven when he dies. Amen. Wouldn't that be great not to even have to battle with sin, have to worry with it? The baby doesn't have to deal with uh, inflation and taxes and, and, and all that kind of mess and, and uh, resisting sin. He just gets to go to heaven. And, I, and you say, well, how do you know he went to heaven? Just stick with me. Just, just stay with me a few more verses here. David, therefore, besought God for the child in verse 16. David was not a Calvinist. Uh, <laughs> at least he wasn't a five-pointer. He, he was not a fatalist. He didn't say, well, uh, the death sentence has been proclaimed over this child. There's no need to pray. No, it's just David begged God for the child. Now, here we see again the, the love, the, the heart of David. You know, he's not a cold guy. He's a, he's a warm-hearted guy. He's, an, he's a tender guy. That's why God said he's a man after his own heart. Saul was hard. He was proud. He was worried about appearances. David was a man in touch with his emotions, and he loved God. You know, don't be afraid, guys, to, to, to show your emotion for God. Don't be afraid to. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. and He, he danced before the Lord. He wept before the Lord. He, he wrote poems to the Lord. Um, he besought God for the child. He fasted. He went in and he lay all night upon the earth. This was rather unusual. For, this is not kingly behavior. Uh, certainly not for one uh, as high as, as David. And the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he wouldn't get up. Neither did he eat bread with them. Sounds like David is going through a dark night of the soul, doesn't it? But David's had about six, six months to a year with no prayer. So I guess it can do him a little bit of good. And it would do us a little bit of good to spend some time with, in prayer with God too. Amen. David's praying and he's... I, I'm just conjecturing here. But I think in a sense too, David is not only mourning for himself, but deep down he knows the baby's going to die and he's mourning for the child. This is, this is a kind of a two-fold, three-fold kind of thing here. And it came to pass on the seventh day, there's that number seven in the Bible. By the way, on the eighth day, a baby is circumcised and they name him. This is an unnamed baby. He dies on the seventh day. That the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him. And he wouldn't hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself now if we tell him that the child is dead? I want you to see how misunderstood David was by his contemporaries and by his peers. And I'll say this to you. If you're a person, a man or a woman of God, that chooses to walk with God, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you will be misunderstood by those around you. They did not understand David's behavior. Now, I'm not talking about being weird just for the sake of being weird, okay? But I'm saying sometimes when we, do th we follow God, it, it won't make sense to those around us. And they did not understand. But verse 19, David, he perceived uh, that when he saw that the servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said unto his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Something interesting happens at this point. David's response is, is unconventional. It says, David arose from the earth. He washed. He anointed himself and changed his apparel. Remember, that's the same thing that Ruth did when she went in to the threshing floor with, uh, uh, with uh, 
what was his name? Boaz. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Didn't take my ginkgo biloba this morning. He, he went, she went in with Boaz. She was putting off her garments of widowhood and mourning. Okay? So David puts off his clothes. He, and notice what else he does. He worships. And then he came to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him. And he did eat. Wow. Now God has just killed his baby. Amen? Is that what your Bible says? God has just killed his baby. But the man loves God. And he understands that what had happened to him was far less than what he really deserved, honestly. And if you get a hold of that, you'll start shouting and praising Woo. God too. Because you and I have gotten far less than what we truly deserve in terms of judgment. Not mercy, but in terms of judgment. And David changed his clothes and the man worships God. I love it. He worships God and he ate. And the servant said to him, What are you talking about, Willis? What's going on with you? I can't figure you out, David. I can't put, I, you know, you, you're a strange bird. That's what Mama Haney used to say. She's a strange bird. You're a strange bird, David. You fasted and you wept for the child when he was alive. But now he's dead, you're eating and worshiping. This seems backwards. But notice David's response. And the theologians have debated this for centuries. And I won't try to resolve all of your questions. Not that I could. <laughs> but he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? And the child may live. You know, you ought to adopt that attitude in every situation of your life. When the devil tells you that it's hopeless, you ought to say to yourself, who knows? I serve a God of infinite mercy, a God of love, a God of grace. Who knows? But what if? What if? You know, God, he spared my life. He forgave my sin. Why don't I just take a chance with the baby? Come on, folks. Don't stop praying for that child that's wayward. Don't stop praying for that grandchild. Don't stop praying for that spouse. Don't stop praying for that person that you think is beyond uh, the reach of God because his arm is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Who can tell? Paul says, how knowest thou whether thou shalt save thy wife? Or how knowest thou whether thy wife shall save thy husband? You don't know. Don't give up. Don't give up. He said, who knows? Verse 23. He said, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? <laughs> and now he gives this great theological statement. And I remember the first time I visited Mr. Lewis Newton, he quoted this verse to me. He told me about his young son that had passed away. And he said, Henry, I know in the Bible. I said, that must have been a difficult thing for you to go through. The loss of a child. A devastating thing. And he looked at me. He said, it is, Henry. Devastating. He said, I can't bring him back to me, but I'll go to him. Where is David going when he dies? <laughs> well, if you read the psalm that he wrote, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell where? 
in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Glory to God. David knew he was going to heaven when he left his body. And he said, that boy is not going to come back to me. He didn't believe in reincarnation. He's not coming back as a butterfly or as a, a flower in the garden. I'm sorry. Reincarnation is not taught anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> David said, he's not coming back to me, but glory to God, I'm going to where he is. And I want to say to you right now, every person in this room, you've got somebody that loves you on the other side of glory. And they're waiting for you just inside the eastern gate. And one of these days, there's going to be a great getting up morning. And that trumpet is going to sound, hallelujah, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Christian never dies. You ever notice that? Whenever he talks about a Christian going on, it always says he slept. He slept. He slept. Because the Christian never dies, you see. When Billy Graham says, one of these days somebody's going to tell you I'm dead, don't believe it. I'm alive and well. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. And she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Bible says, and the Lord loved him. I think that's the only time in the Old Testament you will find this phrase. And the Lord loved him. <laughs> uh, interesting. I could spend a whole lot of time developing that, but I won't do it. Solomon, the, the name means peace or peaceable. And we know Solomon had 40 years of peace. David was a man of war. Solomon was a man of peace. But he got another name. And God sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord, beloved of the Lord. Let me show you this. David had an unnamed baby that died on the seventh day, but God gave him another baby, and he gave him two names. <laughs> Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. See, God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Now that son that died, guess what? David didn't really lose him because he went to heaven. David's going to go to be with him. And he had another son that would be one of the greatest kings Israel had ever known. Far and wide. Wisest man who ever lived. Next to Jesus Christ. And then we pick up this battle scene here. And I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to leave off on that. But, but what we see here, if you remember... And I encourage you to read this on your own time. Remember how this whole drama began to unfold? When did it happen? It happened at the time when kings go to battle. And where's David? He's not on the battlefield. He's in the palace. Right? So then you have this whole sordid narrative between David and Bathsheba. And then you have all the, the consequences. But then the story picks back up. And where do we find David? He's back... On the battlefield where he belongs. Amen. See? <laughs> I should have read it. I'm preaching it anyway. David's back on the battlefield where he belongs, you see. What's the, what's the moral of the story? If you have blown it, Christian, if you're living with some unconfessed sin in your life, something that you have refused to deal with, quit running. Quit Amen. trying to hide it. You can't hide it from God. Your life is just going to get more and more pressurized. It's like a pressure cooker. You're going to be like David. Your hand is heavy upon me. Your, your moisture is going to be turned into the drought of summer. Just go ahead and give it to the Lord. Find some relief. 
get some cleansing. And understand this, that you and I may have to live with the consequences of forgiven sin. There may be some things in your life that don't just magically go poof and go away. You may have to deal with it. And it may be something you deal with the rest of your life. David had to deal with this the rest of his life. Intrigue, betrayal, rape, incest, murder. I mean, it, it reads like no soap opera or, or movie you've ever seen. The truth is stranger than fiction. David lived with the consequences of it. But you know what David did? He, he accepted the consequences. <laughs> and he said, you know, even though I'm living with the consequences of my sin... This is still a pretty good life God's called me to live here. I still have a whole lot to be thankful for. Amen. I can still worship God. I might be sick, but I can still worship. I may have had a financial setback, but I can still worship. Amen. My spouse may have left me, but I can still worship. Amen. My friends may have betrayed me, but I can still worship. People are talking about me, but I can still worship. Amen. I'm frustrated in my work, but I can still worship. No matter what's going on in my life, I can still find something to praise the Lord about. I can still worship Him. You see? Because I've got the end game in sight. Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay? And once you've gone through that phase of confession and acceptance and worship, here's what you need to do. Do like David did. Get back on the battlefield. Get back on the firing line. Grab your two-edged sword and declare to the devil, thus saith the Lord. Would you stand? If you don't know Jesus Christ in the full pardon of your sin as your Savior, the window of opportunity is rapidly closing. Today is your day, not tomorrow. Not next week. Not after the holidays. What a great Thanksgiving present that would be for you. What great early Christmas present that would be for you to receive the gift of eternal life. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Jesus Christ paid the entire price of admission to heaven. He came into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again the third day. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord may be saved. And God is no respecter of persons. There's nobody that's too far gone here today. Not one person in this room is too far gone. Nobody is a lost cause in this room. Nobody here today is beyond the grace of God. The grace of God is here for you. It's here for me. And God will freely and abundantly pardon you and take away all the sin, all of the transgression, all of the iniquity, and all the guile. He'll wipe it all away and you'll be just like a newborn babe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A newborn babe. Maybe you're a Christian. You've been dealing with something. you got something in your life you refuse to deal with. And God has sent me here today to tell you, why don't you quit running and just come home? Amen. Come home. When the prodigal made his decision to come home, the father went running to him. Hallelujah. He went running to him. God has been waiting. He's been watching over the banister of heaven. He's just waiting on you to come home, Christian. Would you come?